God for his church. It's beautiful to be in the house of the Lord, to be able to worship with the church. The one and only true and risen King, King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Put your hands together for Jesus again. At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the children to their class. And as they're making their way out, if you need a handout for our weekly Connect meetings, it looks a little something like this. If you need one, you need to raise your hand like this so the ushers know that you need one and they will make sure you get one. Keep it high if you want one. Connect is uh, something we really... Uh, encourage the church to participate in. Um, you guys can be seated, actually. Um, we encourage the church to participate and connect. This is our weekly small groups. Uh, we meet weekly in six different locations inside of people's homes. And we discuss the Word of God. We discuss the preaching sermon. We're actually going to um, finish up our Connect calendar year in a few weeks. It runs from September to May, so we will give the host a break June, July, and August for the weekly meetings, but we will still meet monthly with our community events and so forth. So I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we honor you in this place. You are the risen King. We know that there is nothing that you cannot do. We know that you know the heart of man. You know everything about us. There's no secrets from you, Lord. Father, you know the thought, the deed, and the word. And God, you've been gracious to us this morning to allow us to be gathered inside of this church to be able to worship your name, Lord. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to do that in our country today. Father, I pray that you would be gracious to your church today, as you always are. I trust that you will be. I pray that you would use me to communicate your word. Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that your name would be made great. I pray that the church would be edified, and I pray that those who do not know you, Jesus, those who do not call you Lord, those who do not serve you, I pray that you would grant them repentance. Father, I pray that you would bring a heavy conviction upon their hearts of their hopelessness apart from you, and I pray that they would bow before you and submit their lives to you in totality and serve you every day that they live from here forward. Father, I love you, I thank you, and I pray this in the name of our good Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, as you can see, I'm not Bishop. Um, Bishop's enjoying some time away with his family. Uh, It's always needed, so uh, we're always happy whenever he decides that he's going to take some time to to do that, so you guys can continue praying for him. Uh, he did text me this morning. He did pray for the service. He's thinking about you all, and uh, he's missing not being here. I can assure you of that. So we're going to continue in our sermon series, The Real Jesus and the Book of John. And the theme in this book of John is to believe. It's also our scripture memory verse. And uh, do we have anyone that's brave enough that wants to come, come forward and say the scripture memory verse? You guys been practicing? I mean, we're, like, we're, four, we're four chapters in now, so you guys should, got, you should have this thing down. But it, 
In case you don't, turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 31. And we'll go ahead and re recite that together. This is, this is the whole entirety. This is the theme. This is the main focus of the book of John. This is the purpose. This is why the book of John was written. All right. If you got it, say so. All right, recite it with me all together. We're going to start with the book, chapter, verse, and flow into the scripture. So starting now, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. All right, let's do it again. John chapter 20, verse 31 but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. One more time. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? Amen. That's the scripture memory verse. That's why John wrote the book of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that you, so that I, so that many before us and many after us might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in flesh. He's the second part of the Trinity. And that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. Pastor Aldo said it during communion, the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a fact. The scriptures declare it. John proclaims it. That's actually John chapter 14 and verse 6. The word believe appears 90 times in the four gospels in the book of Acts. 54 of those times are in the book of John. John really wanted to show the deity of Christ. He really wanted people to see that Jesus is God and that you can have life in his name. So as we've gone through... The book of John, we've discussed multiple extraordinary accounts that reveal the deity of Christ. Starting at the beginning, John opens up his gospel, taking it back to the Genesis account, the beginning. And he says in John 1, verses 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word. Whenever we're talking Word, you can think of this Word. Whenever I'm telling you Word, that Word is referring to Jesus. All right? So let's hear it. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. And the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That's talking about Jesus. And without him, talking about Jesus, was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And if you take it down a little bit further to John 1.14, it says, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we see here a picture of Jesus's existence before his existence, right? When we, when we think of the natural, we're thinking, oh, well, Jesus was born like 2,000 years ago. He's born in a manger. Jesus existed before that. Jesus is God. Jesus has no beginning and he has no end. But that was the pre-incarnate Christ. He was with the father, this is what John's wanting to point out here. So whenever he was born 2,000 years ago, he was coming down from his throne to be with us to do what only he could do, which was to give life to all mankind by dying and resurrecting. When he died, he took that wrath upon himself. 
So John the Baptist forfeits all glory. We're talking about the revelation of Jesus being God as we've gone through. Bishops preach most of the sermons, but John the Baptist, we, we looked at that. He forfeits all glory, fame, and attention to ensure that everyone closest to him, even those who were very loyal to him, probably would have done anything that he wanted them to do because they seen him as some type of prophet. They seen him, and he was, he was different. I mean, this dude was crazy. He's eating locusts and honey and, 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 and the wilderness, baptizing people, telling people to repent. But he said, look, it's not me. It's the one that's coming after me. It's him. And then he even went on to say that the one who told me to come and baptize, he told me that whoever I seen that dove ascend down and descend and stay upon from heaven, when I baptize him, that's the one who I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandal. And that was Jesus that he was talking about. He always pointed to Christ. He also said further on, John the Baptist, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who can take away sins of the world? There's only one. It's God. That's it. Only God can take away the sins of the world. No prophet can take away your sins. No priest, no pope can take away your sins. Amen? Amen. There's no Iman. There's no great wise man. There's no Buddhist up on a peak somewhere. Nobody can take away the sins of the world. Only God can and God did to all those who believe and trust in him as the one and only true and living God. So as we continue on, Jesus then calls four of his disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, while telling Nathaniel that he's seen him under the fig tree before Philip called him. See, at first, Nathaniel was a little skeptical. He's like, man, ain't nothing good coming out of Nazareth. But as he got there, just to kind of pique his curiosity, Jesus is like, oh, hey, you know, an, a, a, an Israelite where there is no deceit. He's like, how do you know me? What, what, are you, what are you talking about? Who's this guy? And he said, before Philip called you, I seen you underneath the fig tree. And that blew his mind. He believed. He believed. And Jesus said, you're going to believe because of that? You're going to see greater things than that. It's going to be awesome. As we continued on, we t- he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. This is Cana of Galilee. Um, this was also uh, the, the first sign that he did in, in Cana of Galilee. So just to give you a little backdrop, Galilee, some of you may know this, some of you may not. Galilee is kind of like Seminole County. All right? it's, it's like a region. All right, so I can say I'm going to Oviedo, and I can say I'm going to Castleberry, and, I, and both of that means I'm going to Seminole County. So Cana, Capernaum, Nazareth, Tiberias, Gennesaret, they're, they're all in Galilee. So sometimes you'll hear him say, I'm going to Galilee, and he means Nazareth, or I'm going to Galilee, but he's going to Capernaum. So I just wanted to, to share that with you. He went to Galilee. It was Cana of Galilee where he turned that water into wine, and that was, again, him displaying his deity. Uh, further on, y'all remember whenever he went in the temple, cleansed it up with, with a cord of whip, with a whip of cords? All right? He, 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 was, he, was, he was knocking folks out, man. He, was, he had this, 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 this whip of cords. He was upset because their money changes were making a mockery of his, of, of his father's house. They were, they were greedy. They were trying to sell the sacrifices uh, for gain and not so that people could have something to sacrifice for the glory of God. So he started flipping tables. He started dumping out money changers' uh, uh, bottles, and the disciples realized at that point, it was Psalm 69.9, for for zeal, I have zeal for your house, it'll eat me up. And they're like, wow, you know, they reflected upon that, like, man, this this dude's different, like, nobody's ever done this, like, I've wanted to do that, but Jesus did it. 
Um, so again, just trying to, trying to see a little bit more about who Christ is and his deity. We, we, he also um, recognized by a Pharisee named Nicodemus. You guys might remember that one. Um, he was a ruler of the Jews, and he recognized Jesus to be a teacher because of the signs. He said, the signs you're doing, only, only someone from God could do those signs. So he validated Jesus' deity. And then Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, tells of her lifestyle, and she believes he is the Messiah. This starts a big uproar in Samaria. Jesus stays there for two days, and people start believing. People start believing, not just because of her testimony, but because of his word that he spoke himself. And it's pretty amazing whenever you're sitting, imagine, you haven't, you, you just, you know, you got your own sins that you try to keep to yourself because, you know, you're embarrassed or, um, you know, people, whenever you've, whenever you've communicated your sins to people, you, you, you've, you've made yourself vulnerable to them and they've trampled upon you. So now you have a problem trusting people. So you're real cautious about what you disclose to certain people. And you got other people who just have big mouths. So, you know, you say one thing to them about something you did that you know you shouldn't have done. And they all of a sudden, everybody knows about your business now. So you're real cautious about this, right? So imagine you're at the well. You're just trying to draw water. You're trying not to go at the peak hour because you don't want people to, you know, be talking trash about you. I'm assuming this woman, you know, she, 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 was, she was a little fast, as Jesus would later reveal. And, um, and you're just talking to this guy, and it's like, man... He just told me that the husband I have ain't even my husband. And, and, and he, he basically called, called her sin to the carpet. And she was amazed that he was able to know that and discern that. And that was enough for her to believe. And she went and she told everybody in Samaria about that. So this brings us to where we are today. We're in chapter 4, uh, verses 46 through 54. And I'm actually going to start reading from verse 43 it's a little bit of the context of what we're discussing today. So John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. And if you want to make that little note on your pamphlet, because if you read the scripture with your connect group, um, it says 46 to 54 in the pamphlet. So starting in verse 43. After the two days, he departed from Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. See, that's why I was giving that backdrop about Galilee. You see, because his hometown was Nazareth, but his hometown was also Galilee. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. And Paul's there. So the Galileans, they want to get all hyped up whenever he's doing miracles and stuff at the feast, but they don't want to believe. They're they're seeking signs and wonders and miracles. That's what's exciting them. They're not seeking Jesus. So they're welcoming welcoming Jesus in because of everything he had done at the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my son dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. As he was going down, his servants met him, and they told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when his son began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday is about the seventh hour the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household, and all his household, and all his household. And all his household. That's amazing, right? Dads, fathers, husbands. Amen. 
and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee in Cana. Because he did many other signs at that feast whenever he was in Judea. So, let's go ahead and go into our pamphlet and read that. I got a little more for you. Um, I'll just read through this real quick. As we continued in our series, the title of the message is Believe and Receive Life. As we continue in our series, The Real Jesus, we see Jesus departing from Samaria to continue on to Galilee. As he enters into Galilee in verse 45, he is welcomed with excitement by the Galileans because they witnessed the miracles that he did in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. The word was spreading fast through the region that Jesus was healing many who were sick. Lepers were being made whole. Those with fever were being healed. Demons were being cast out. The word that was spreading reached one of the noblemen from Capernaum. This passage is one of encouragement for we see, and for in it we see the desperation of a father whose son is ill. He hears that Jesus is healing people and many are being made whole. He then finds out that Jesus is coming back to Galilee and he makes sure that he gets to Jesus so that his son might live. The Bible says that the faith, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God and that those who seek Jesus will find him. John wrote this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that those who read and hear it might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they might believe unto eternal life. Therefore, as children of God, we must preach the gospel to all those around us who don't know Christ because it is the power of God under salvation to all those who believe. So you might be thinking, oh man, I read John. I didn't see anything about lepers being healed and the sick being healed and the lame being... I didn't see... If you go back to Matthew, you've got to kind of you know, piece the, the gospels together a little bit. That's what he was doing in Judea. John doesn't disclose it. Um, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. John just had a different purpose for writing his gospel than the other three did. But that's what was taking place, and that's why the Galileans were so excited. Um, <clears throat> another little story I thought was appropriate to share with you guys here, um, because we're going to see a son get healed. We're going to see a boy get healed. So I thought this was cute. And I figured I'd share it right here. It's called Jesus, the Savior of Children. General H used to take his little son into his arms and talk with him about Jesus. The little boy never grew tired of that sweet story. It was always new to him. One day while sitting in his father's lap, his papa said to him, Would my little son like to go to heaven? Yes, papa, he answered. But, said the father, how can you go to heaven? Your little heart is full of sin. How can you expect to go where God is? But all, sin all are sinners, Papa, the little fellow answered. That is true, replied the father. And yet God has said that only the pure in heart shall see him. So how can my little boy expect to go there? The dear little fellow's face grew very sad, and his heart seemed full. And bursting into tears, he laid his head on his father's bosom, and he sobbed out. Papa... Jesus can save me. And he's exactly right. Jesus can save that little boy. Jesus can save you. You see, we're going to see a physical healing today. We're going to see a boy who needed to be healed in order to have life. But he got much more than that. And it wasn't just him who got it. It was his father and the household. Jesus saved them all. Amen? Amen. So point one, you can write this down. Faith must move us to action if we are going to see any fruit. Faith must move us to action if we are going to see any fruit. 
It's not enough for you to just say you have faith. You see, when this nobleman found out that Jesus was coming, it's 27 miles from, from Capernaum to Cana, to Cana. And I went to Google Maps. I checked this out. It's a nine and a half hour walk. All right. And that's today's age. They might got sidewalks and stuff. And, you know, I don't know. It might have been a little longer back then. But that was a little bit of a hike. So he believed. He, he knew, you know what? If I just get to Jesus, he's going to heal my son. Everybody's talking about it. I need him to heal my son. My son is dying. He probably tried everything. He probably tried potions and lotions and, 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 and nuances and seances and whoever. I mean, he probably tried everything that he could whenever he found out his son was sick and his son wasn't getting any better. But then he heard about Jesus because the word was spread, spreading fast because Jesus was healing many. But whenever you and I say that we have faith, but yet we don't put it to practice, James says that faith without works is dead. Do we really even have faith? You have to question yourself. It's not enough for you to say that you believe in Jesus because the demons believe and they tremble. So you're not in a good category when you say you believe in Jesus. You're in the demon category. Now, when people begin to see, hear everything I'm saying and don't hear what I'm not saying, whenever you begin, when people begin to see your belief in Jesus by your words and your deeds, by your actions, and that doesn't mean you go like the Pharisees and you try to give in the presence of everybody so people see you giving. People will know by the virtue of your character, by your patience, by your love, by your kindness, by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. People are going to know whenever you have the Spirit abiding in you. People are going to know when you're committed to Christ by the way you are. Jesus says that people know that you belong to me by the way that you love one another. So if you say you believe, but you never read, you never pray, you never commune, you, 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 you're one of the people, hey, I don't need to go to church. I love Jesus. You know, I don't know. You need to check yourself. It's not a good place to be. Because here's the thing that I do know. I know that if you die with a false security thinking that you're okay and you're really not, there's no second chances. You get one life, and it's the grace of God. I mean, it's beautiful to have life. Your family, your friends, your children. Yeah, we have trials. Yeah, we have hardships. But man, God gives us the opportunity to love. That's a gift. To be able to love and to be loved. Every day you have is a gift. But don't be fooled in thinking that you believe if there's no actions that follow. And what actions should follow? And I'm not talking about you need to perform to be saved. Because we all know in this church, you don't perform to be saved. There ain't nothing you can do to save you. There ain't no good deed. There ain't no enough reading. There ain't enough praying that's going to give you salvation and relationship with Jesus Christ. There's one way to Jesus Christ, and we talked about it already, and that's it. So if you want to just say your prayer, praying to a God that maybe isn't even listening to you because you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life by surrendering your life to him and saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. What do you want me to do today? How do you want me to be today? Jesus, your word says this, so I'm going to repent and I'm going to make sure that I do that and I'm going to turn from my wicked ways and I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to put myself before you. I'm going to put you before me. Jesus must be your Lord and it must be evident. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. That is another thing that you would hear that I am not saying if that's what you're thinking. You don't have to be perfect. There's one who's perfect. His name's Jesus. And you can thank God that he's perfect. Because he's perfect, he could take our penalty. He could take our wrath. He could be the perfect sacrifice. Amen? Amen.
So if you do believe, don't have faith like this. We got that? This may not even be faith at all. Lights, somebody? Okay. So hot. Oh, kind of a hot day. You oh, think? Yeah. So hot. Oh. Woo! What? Like three months and no rain is called a drought, right? That's what I'm saying. Oh, what are we doing out here? Oh, okay, guys. I, I just thought we should meet and pray for rain. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it can't oh, hurt. Hey, come on. So, get on with it, man. Okay, so uh, join hands. Oh, okay. Prayer works better that way. Okay. <laughs> no, I got air conditioning All right. here. All right. Uh, dear God, oh, Lord, 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 if you could just please make it rain. Oh, yes, please. please. And please. bring something cold to drink. Yeah. Oh, like yes. water. Remember Noah. Because it's so hot. Oh, yes, it is Water, hot. please. Amen. Uh, amen. I think that went well. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I pitted out a perfectly good trip for a 10 second prayer. Thanks for coming out. Okay. I'll, I'll see you at the Bible study, Drew. I'm out of here. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Oh, waiting for the rain. <laughs> Laura, uh, take, take a look up there. I want you to see that there's just a blue sky with right. no clouds. I think that means no rain. Right. Remember, we just prayed about this. So. Oh, I know. We just prayed for rain. So, you know, the clouds are going to come and then it's going to rain and you're going to get wet. <laughs> Are you new to this whole praying thing? Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> well, let me explain this to you. Um, I wouldn't be counting on the rain. Oh. Well, maybe it's not the rain you should be counting on. Y'all wanted to see him get wet, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> So, sometimes we pray like that. We got to guard our hearts from that church. All of us are guilty for praying like that at times. But it never should be so. Because we serve a God that hears us. And we serve a God that can do above all that we can ask, think, or even imagine. But he does it according to his will, not according to our beck and call. Amen? So, true faith can never be idle. Point two, Jesus knows what we need in the natural so that we can be changed supernaturally. Jesus knows what we need in the natural so that we can be changed supernaturally. Have you ever asked God for something that you thought you needed, but really that's not what God said you needed? Oh God, give me this kind of a husband. Give me this kind of a wife. Like this, 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 like this. And then the wife or husband you have now is the perfect wife or husband for you. But that's not what you described. God has better plans. God knows. God, give me this job. Please, I want this job. Ooh, I'm glad I didn't get that job. That company just went out of business three months later. God knows exactly what his people need. You know, I was praying about that, you know, because I'm in sales, so I give bids. I bid this job, I bid that job, I bid this job, I bid that job. And I'm, I'm driving on the road, and I'm like, man, I got to get my quota up. God, help me get that job. Help me get that job. I bid it. I worked, I worked hard on it, put a good number together. And I started to think, God is sovereign. If he wants to give me that job, I'll get it. But there's so many other variables. 
maybe that other company needs to get that so the guy who bid it against me, he can get the commission and feed his family. And maybe there's employees there that need the work, so they really need the work. I mean, there's so many variables involved to the designer who's going to design the blueprints for that job that I sell. If I get it, that designer ain't going to be designing it. And God knows if he needs to design it because it might be working according to the perfect plan that God has. And then that's when it just gets like sovereignty. It's like, whoa. It's like, it's just way beyond our comprehension or understanding. There's so many variables that we have to just take a step back and say, I trust you, Lord. I do hope I get the job, but I trust you. All right. It's okay to hope. We, you know, we, we ain't sovereign. It's okay to hope for things and want things and you know, as long as we ain't being, you know, greedy and, you know, have wrong motives and so forth. But God knows exactly what we need naturally so that we can be changed supernaturally. We see the nobleman, he has a doubt. He has like a weak faith. See, he has faith. He's a believer. It's kind of weak, right? Because he, what he does is he, he says, all right, I'm going to take this 27-mile journey so that my son can be healed. But when he gets there, he's like, Jesus, I need you to come back with me to heal my son. As if though Jesus can only do it if he's like a bed, bedside physician or something, right? So Jesus is like, unless you believe, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And when he said this, he wasn't just talking to him. He was talking to the people who were listening. Because remember, he was in a place, he was in his hometown where he, a prophet is without honor. They were only all hyped up because of what he already did at the, at the feast in Jerusalem, in Judea. So he says this to him, and at first you're taken back. You're like, Jesus, man, this dude's son's dying. Like, go heal his son. Like, this is sad. How come you're not going to heal his son? But Jesus knew what he was doing. You see, when you look at the parallel between the centurion soldier and Matthew 8, it's very, very similar. The centurion soldier came to Jesus, but instead of saying, come back with me to heal my servant, what the centurion soldier said was, I know you can heal him. I'm in charge of armies. When I tell my army to do something, they do it. You're in charge of everything. You're God. So if you, if you just say my servant's healed, and Jesus is like, well, I want to come with you. See, Jesus was going to come because he had great faith. He said, I want to be with you. This guy here, Jesus seen he had little faith. He's like, mm, if I just heal his son, I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but I'm just thinking. And maybe Jesus was thinking, if I heal his son, this and this and this ain't going to happen. Remember that, that sovereignty thing that Jesus already knows what's going on? So let's finish, let's finish the story to see what, how Jesus knew what was going on. So... After what seems to be a negative answer to his first request for Jesus to heal his son, he turns to Jesus in desperation and he says, Jesus, come down before my child dies. Now, this dad did not know that he needed healing for his own soul. But Jesus did. Which is why Jesus did not go with him to heal his son. And he told him, go, your son will, will live. And Jesus healed his son without going down to visit him. This method Jesus chose ultimately, listen here, this method that Jesus chose not to go down, but just to say your son lives and go, ultimately was the helper of this father's faith and the cure for his son's illness and the salvation of the whole household. You see, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew to say no. He knew to do it differently. And this, this father, he still had, he had no clue what was going on. Jesus is omniscient, sovereign. He knows all things and what needs to be done for us to believe and receive life. You can think about your own salvation. You know that perfect, beautiful verse that we like to quote, but it's so true. And when you're going through bad times, you need to quote it then too. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and those who are the called according to his purpose. That is a very true verse. 
I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't know the solution sometimes for what you're going through. I can counsel you according to the word to the best of my ability, but there's some things that are way beyond, way beyond our understanding that God is doing for a reason or allowing for a reason. And ultimately, it's so that you can be conformed to the image of Christ so that you can believe and receive life. Because what you don't want is to not believe, live this life, think you have a relationship or not, and if you get before him, you'll just be, it'll just be completely surprised if you just don't care. You'll be like, wow, I, just, I, sh- I should have listened. But if you think you've got a relationship but you really don't, then it's going to be, depart from me, I never knew you. And you're going to be like, hey, I was casting out demons. I was, I was praying. I was going to church. So believe and receive life. Embrace the trials you're going through. Embrace the tribulation. Embrace the hardship. Embrace the good. Embrace the bad. Trust God. Amen? Amen. Point three. The nobleman and his entire household believe and receive life. The nobleman and his entire household believe and receive life. Notice the eagerness that this dad displays in bringing his son's case to Christ. Are we doing that, parents? Are we praying for our children? Are we believing that God can save them? Are we believing that God can heal them of the greatest disease that they have? It's called sin. The Bible says that all are born into it. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your children are. God gives you promises for your children, and you can hold to those promises. But are you praying? Are you bringing your child before the throne of God in prayer the way that this father did in desperation? Would you respond differently if your child was deathly ill with a sickness? Wouldn't then we see your eagerness for your child? What about when they're perfectly fine, but yet they're not saved, they're not converted, they're not in relationship, they don't love God, they're not following God? Do we see this same eagerness? Because the Bible says it's better for you to go into the kingdom of heaven blind or lame than for you to not enter at all. We should be desperate for our house. We should be desperate for our children. We should be living by example. We are the ones that they look to. When they look back, what do they see? Do they see prayer and worship in your house? Do they see it continually or do they see it just whenever you get the phone call? Hey, uh, TT's in the hospital. I need you to pray. Oh, oh, let's gather the family together. Let's pray. Is that the only time they see prayer in the house? What are you teaching them? What message are you preaching to them? You're teaching them that you don't need God. On a daily basis, you got this. You're sovereign. You're omnipotent. This is your kingdom. This is your world. Oh, but there's some things that are out of our control. Not all of this, but that with TT. So let's go ahead and pray. That's what you're teaching them. Is that what you want to teach them? The foundation has to be laid by us, parents. The desperation that we see in this father should be the same desperation that we have for our own children. The way to exercise faith, the way to increase faith faith is to exercise it. So you say you believe that God can do anything, you have a bad situation, pray, 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 pray. You're exercising your faith. That's how you're going to increase your faith. You go to the word. 
Oh, well, last time I read the word, I didn't get nothing out of it. Faith comes by hearing and hear the word of God. You go there again. I don't even understand it. Go there again. 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 It's very important that we don't take for granted the gifts that we have. In America, we have an opportunity to read. Man, we got the Bible everywhere, church. We got to write it on our hearts so that we don't sin against him. Amen? The nobleman's faith did not peak until he met his servants on the way back home. And then they told him that his son was recovering. And then he asked, see, he, this, is, this is why it didn't peak. He had faith. It, it was like a progression of faith. He's like, all right, I got to get my son healed. I'm going to go over there. Jesus, you got to come with me. Uh, that ain't going to happen. Go when your son's healed. All right, now this is faith again. I'm going to go. So he left. He didn't argue. He left. That's faith. But then when he seen his servants, he was still like, what, what time did he get healed? What time, what time was it? He wanted to make sure, and he found out, man, it was exactly when Jesus said, your son will live. That's when my son's fever left him. <clears throat> Benefits of affliction. Anxiety about his son led the nobleman to Christ and eventually his whole household. By affliction, God often teaches lessons to us that we cannot learn any other way. By it, he often draws our souls away from sin that we otherwise would have perished from. Psalms 119.71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So, so, you might be going through something crazy. Now, if you're in sin, you need to repent. All right? You just, you know, God never lets the guilty go unpunished. Cause and effect. You reap what you sow. You know what I mean? You know, you might be getting what you deserve. You're praying for grace, you know? Like, please have mercy on me. I know I deserve this, but help me out here. But if you're going through something that's out of your control... Just know that, man, God might be allowing you to go through that. First of all, you got Romans 8, 28. Keep that in your pocket. All things work together for the good to those who love the Lord. Those are the call to corner of his purpose. All right, that's an encouraging verse. Amen. But know that, man, God has a plan and a purpose. And I might be going through this so that I don't go to hell. All right? Let me embrace the opportunity here. Let me embrace this, embrace this little trial here that's going to last for a season or even if it lasts a lifetime. The Bible says our hearts are purified whenever we set our mind on the thought that one day we will see him and be just like him. It says that right right now it's not revealed who we are, but one day it will be. We know that we're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. No matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter. It is not big enough for you to deny your faith. It is not big enough for you to reject God. It is not big enough for you to turn your back on God. Because one day there is an inheritance that awaits you that's incorruptible, undefiled, and one that won't fade away. And it's yours. It's reserved for you. It's in his kingdom. Whatever tribulation you have here is petty compared to an eternity separated from God in hell. Christ's word is as good as his presence. We need his word to believe and receive. That's what he, the old man's seen it. His word was as good as his presence. He didn't have to go there at the bedside like a physician and heal his son. He just spoke. And we have the word of God. I was going to hold my Bible up, but I, I, don't, I got it on my phone here. So We got the word of God, all right? That's the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word came flesh and dwelt among us. We have the word. Amen? Amen. So for the church, I have three questions about your faith. Number one, 
Does your faith lead you to your knees for prayer? I have faith. I believe in Jesus. Does your faith lead you to your knees in prayer? Are you self-dependent? You make all of your own decisions? It's all about you? Well, I think this is the right thing to do. Man, this is what the scripture says. I know, man, but you know, I, I got to do it like this. Does faith drive you to your knees in prayer? Number two, does your faith make you obedient? It should. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if you knew, listen, if Jesus was right here, all right, and, 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 and you were acting a fool, you wouldn't be acting a fool. You would be like, oh, you know, you know, worthy, holy, you know, you would be worshiping. You would be like timid. You would, you would be putting your church clothes on, trying to be on your best behavior. Well, guess what? Faith. Jesus is, the spirit of God dwells within you. Every time you sin, you grieve the spirit. All right? So you, you don't, you can, if you have faith and you believe that stuff, you ain't got to pretend that Jesus is right there watching you. God is with you. And even for those who don't know Christ and you ain't got the spirit living in you, God still sees you and knows you and knows your heart and knows the things you think and knows the things you do, knows the things you hide. God knows everything. Does your faith make you obedient? The Bible says that those who say they love me and don't keep my commands, they're a liar. Obey God's word. Reverence God. Fear God. You got some of y'all, y'all used to get butt whoopings pretty good. So, you know, when your dad came around and your mom came around, you were like, you know, straight as a board. Because you knew you didn't want to get your butt tore up, right? God gives us faith so that we can obey. We shouldn't reverence our parents more than we reverence God. We shouldn't be more concerned about being obedient and honoring a human being than we are to being obedient and honoring God. I know what it is, church. It's, it's grace. And sometimes we take it for granted, which Paul says not to do. We know, oh, well, God will forgive me for that. I know God loves me. I'm not going to lose my salvation over it. So you think it's okay and it's not, or you justify it. Don't do that. You want to grieve the spirit? You know a thought that really helps me? Whenever I'm thinking about sinning, think of the crucifixion. And, I, and I, if you know me, you always know that. I always talk about what Jesus didn't want. Jesus, whenever he was praying in the garden and he was saying, let this cup pass from me, he was talking about the wrath of God being poured out upon him. He wasn't talking about the beating. Some of the disciples can arguably have died a more gruesome death than Jesus did. All right? He wasn't talking about the beating. He was talking about the wrath of God that was going to be poured out upon him. All right? That's what he was agonizing about and sweating blood drops for in the garden. But it's still a good thought for you to think, man, my sins gave him that beating. All right, y'all seen Passion of the Christ? He went to that cross, ridiculed, spit on, rejected, slandered, pushed down, whipped, flogged, beaten, almost naked, nails through the hands, crown on his heads, on his head. And then they gave him the, they tried to give him the, 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 the wine when he was thirsty. My sins put him on that cross. 
So when you think about you want to sin or you think, oh, you know what, I'm just going to, God's grace, don't do that. That was a heavy penalty paid to buy you so that you were not no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to obedience. So when you do that, you're like a dog going back to its vomit. You're having an identity crisis. If you say you love Jesus, you can't just run back to that sin like that. Repent, run, be like Joseph. Joseph was getting caught up with Potiphar's wife. He's like, whoa, this is crazy, and he bounced. You can keep my coat. Flee, flee useful lust. Flee the passions, the desires. Don't love lust and pleasure more than you love God and more than you love Christ and more than you love him. Has your faith led you to bless your household? This guy's whole household was saved. It's a great testimony. I said it, and when we prayed this morning, man, just, just read with your children. Pray with them. I don't, it doesn't matter if you don't think it's doing anything. It is. You're, you're, you're trying to leave a multi-generational legacy. All right? You're trying to lay a foundation that has deep roots. Just do it. Don't trust in your own understanding. The Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. Oh, I, I pray, I've been praying with him and they're still acting crazy. Well, keep praying with him and keep disciplining them. Don't spare the rod. That's why your kids act crazy. Closing comments. We don't like when people do not believe our word. This is without saying. So whenever, whenever you say something to somebody and they're like, uh, uh, nah, I don't believe that. This is the truth. I'm telling you, this is my word. I don't, I don't believe you. They're communicating something to you. They're communicating that you're not trustworthy and that you're a liar. And that's offensive. Whenever you don't believe what the scriptures declare, you're, putting the, you're, you're calling God a liar. And that is offensive to God. Unbelief is giving God the lie. It is no light thing to treat any word of God as an unreality. It's an insult thrown in his face. So the question I have for you today is, do you believe what God says about man, about you, and about me? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 3 that no one seeks after God. We're all seeking our own pleasures, our own way. The Bible says that in the heart of man, you find lying, blasphemy, adultery, fornications, murders, thefts, wickedness, lewdness, lust. All of these things are in the heart of man and they come out of man. This is the doctrine of man. Adam sinned, it's passed down to us. This is why you think the things that you think. Go ahead, you can play the thought back in your own head. Sometimes you just think some crazy things, right? Something you would never share with nobody. Those thoughts come from sin. And as Christians, we got to rebuke that. Like, man, this is, uh, Lord help me. I don't want to think like that. That's, that's crazy. I mean, if you're like me, some of you, some of these crazy thoughts. I mean, we sin in thought, word, and deed. We sin willingly and unknowingly. There's sins of commission and omission. That means 
I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to partner with him and do it, and it's sinful. I'm, I'm in commission with that. Or I know I should do that. That's going to honor God. It's going to help my neighbor, but I'm not going to do that on purpose. That's a sin of omission. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says that the natural man does not understand spiritual things. They're foolishness to him. Do you believe what the Bible says about man? That's what the Bible says about man. We're utterly hopeless without a Savior. We can't pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. There's not enough good deeds we can do. There's not enough prayers we can say. There's not enough Hail Marys, not enough confessions. There's no indulgences. There's no purgatory that we're going to get another chance. It doesn't exist. It's a lie. If you read the Bible, I promise you, I'm telling you the gospel truth. If you believe what the Bible says about man, that should leave you in one place and it's utterly hopeless. That's where it leaves you. When I share the gospel with people, I want them to get to the place where they say, man, nobody's going to heaven. Bingo. You got it right. But God, that's when you're ready for the gospel. Because if Jesus did not leave his throne, if Jesus did not take on flesh, if Jesus did not die the sinner's death, if Jesus did not get crucified and bear the wrath of God for us, we would have no way to God. Bankrupt, empty, zeros, big pit separating us, no bridge to connect the two. Lost forever and never found. But the glorious grace of God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's the beauty, church. Is that we have a Savior that can save. Yes, I can't save myself. But Jesus can save me if I would just let it go. I just need to seek him as hidden treasure. I need to show that I have faith. Even if I think my faith is weak, I need to just show that I got some kind of faith that Jesus, I know you can save me. I don't understand it all, but I know you can save me, Jesus, and run to him. I believe what they're saying. I don't understand it, but I'm just going to run to you because I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. I don't want to live for me anymore. I don't want to die and go to hell. 150,000 people die every day. you're secure in Christ and praise God praise God praise God praise God but if you're not or if you're unsure don't let that be a thought that you bury don't act like everything's okay I promise you it's not don't be like the rich man in Abraham's bosom that was crying out saying, please just send somebody back to warn my family about this place. Please just dip your finger in water and touch my tongue. Please, please, please don't be like that guy. You won't get a second chance. I can't guarantee you and nobody else in here can guarantee you that you won't leave here and get in a car accident and die and be standing in front of, the, standing in front of God hours from now. And y'all know me, God forbid. I don't want that for none of you. This isn't a scare tactic. 
but I'll never have another chance to tell you to repent and trust in Jesus if that's the case. For the church, I love you guys. God has united his body and his church to be one, united in Christ. Christ is the head, we're the body. And this message that I just shared is what we should be sharing every day because there's a lot of people that don't know Christ. There's a lot of people in America that think they know Christ and they don't know Christ. They count on the teddy bear God who's just gonna forgive them of all their sins. They count on a reality that doesn't even exist in our own land. You break a law, you are convicted of a crime, you serve the time. There's no, oh judge, I didn't mean to do that. Judge, I, I took a couple classes and, 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 and I, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Okay, I'm glad you're not gonna do that anymore. Here's the penalty. The penalty for sins is death separated from God forever. If you want to serve Christ, if you don't know Christ today and you wanna serve him with your life forevermore, that you would come see me after the service. I'll probably be occupied. I got four kids. So um, find me or find Pastor Aldo um, and let us talk to you. Let us pray with you. And um, let us go ahead and pray now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for you've been very gracious to us today, Lord, as you always are, Lord. We are so grateful to belong to you, God. We're so grateful for your loving kindness and tender mercies that are new every day. And God, I just pray that your name would be made great from your church, that we would be a bride that brings honor to you. I love you, God. I pray this in Jesus' name.